Welcome back to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. We appreciate you spending time with us, and we have a great one for you today. This edition is made possible by CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high-quality mobility for all. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hey, good afternoon, Fred. Good afternoon. And with us today is Chuck Cook, who has been one of the original 10 Tesla FSD beta testers. He's been doing that for over a couple of years now, based in Jacksonville, Florida. Hi, Chuck. Hi there, guys. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. I'm glad to have you, Chuck. Well, you have many followers on YouTube as you chronicle the good and bad about FSD beta releases, currently V10.6, 9.3, and you were featured by Cade Metz in the New York Times a few days ago, the headline being, What Riding in a Self-Driving Tesla Tells Us About the Future of Autonomy. I guess a spoiler alert would be, um, it still has a long way to go, right? It's doing a lot of things amazingly well, but uh, the world's a big place and we have a lot of problems to solve. But uh, I like to think every problem has an engineering solution. We just have to figure out how to scale or figure out how to solve the problems. And Chuck, you have what would seem to be a perfect background for this. If you don't mind sharing that with our audience and how it came to be that you're one of those in the front lines of beta testing FSD in your Model Y. Sure. Well, I don't know that my background uh, is perfect for this or not. It obviously got the attention of some. Generally, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer trained at the Naval Academy years ago. I was a pilot in the U.S. Navy for about 25 years, both on active duty and the reserve. Uh, I joined a, ma a major U.S. airline. Uh, I'm a technical leader at this airline. Um, I'm a developer. I'm a beekeeper. I, I love to talk about all sorts of things. I like to take things apart and put them back together. Um, but ultimately, I think the skill that I bring to this that maybe everyone doesn't have is that of aviation and the use of automation systems that are very well regulated and certified today and do a very, very good job. There's a lot of philosophies that are the same between autonomous driving and the way we use uh, autonomy in, and I should say automation more than autonomy in aviation. So that's where I think I'm comfortable. Uh, I love talking about it at an engineering level. And I'm, I'm really just glad to be a part of the solution. Uh, I'm not looking to pick it apart, but I love trying to figure out how it works. Uh, let me pick up on something you just said, if I may, if we can go um, um, automation instead of autonomy, or that you, you, there's a difference there. Of course there yeah. is, but yeah, <laughs> uh, please, yeah. because a lot of people think um, think the two words are synonymous, and, and please. Uh, uh, yeah, well, this is a fascinating thread, and I don't know yeah. if we have the time for it, but <laughs> in, in an aviation system, you know, we have three levels of automation. You know, you're manually flying the plane, think of it as stick and rudder like a, a civilian pilot might in their Cessna 172, but then you take up these different levels of automation. You can turn on an auto throttle. In the car, that's the equivalent of basically traffic wear cruise control, where you give control to the car. You can go to the next level of automation where you give it lateral control. That would be just like giving an autopilot some heading control. And then you take it to the very highest where it controls both the speed and the lateral and the vertical movement in an airplane. And that's kind of full self-driving where it now has full control. But the first rule in aviation is if something's not going right, lower the level of automation, simplify the automation being used and take control of the situation. And that's where I am right now today as an FSD beta tester managing that uh, automation system. But 
true autonomy, I think of a drone with no pilot. We're not there yet. But automation are driver assistance or pilot assistance systems that take control to let the pilot open their field of view, look at more information around them, but not necessarily have to take the uh, brain cycles away for full control of the airplane that the aircraft is completely capable of doing. And the Tesla car works very similar. A lot of parallels there. Yeah, but if, if, if we go to the drone, even the drone is an autonomy, isn't is it? I mean, it's not doing it on its own. It has, it has a whole host of folks back there really uh, telling it what its mission is, what it's supposed to do, constraining what what the heck it's, it's about to do. And it's just basically operating within that constraint envelope, isn't it? It's not autonomy. Uh, uh, so so th there's a very subtle point in what you just said there, and I will agree with you. Yes, absolutely. You could pre-program a mission. You could have something programmed to go do what you did, much like a computer program can be written, but it's locked into that uh, constrained domain, operational domain at that point, right? It's not out there making decisions uh, very often on its own. Well, whether or not to, in a military sense, release weapons or not, uh, shoot or not, or, or just go out there and take pictures or not, whatever the mission of the drone is. So you're right, autonomy to some people means, oh look, it's managing the navigation on its own. But true autonomy uh, also includes decision-making. That is where the real world AI that Elon refers to, or perhaps needing full AGI is, is the point that uh, we're, perhaps we're, we're reaching for. Um, yeah, I guess I would say we shouldn't even bother. I, I mean, I, to, to me, these, these things are they're tools uh, to do something for us. They're not put out there to do something for themselves. I think, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think any of these developers yeah. have, have sort of put it out that way. And if they're going to be tools for us then in fact um we have to uh, we have to set the constraints we have to say what the mission is we have to give it its options to choose from and give it a, mm -hmm. and it probably tell it how in the heck to choose from those things so if it's if it's the provision of mobility uh, you have to be able to go from here to there at a certain time in certain weather conditions and da, 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 and, and do that. You just don't get out and say, hey, yo, <clears throat> boy, it looks good to me. I think I'll do it now, oh, right? Wow. I mean, uh, Alan, we just started or, or, a, yeah. a podcast and I realized we don't have enough time because yeah, we just okay. went down a little rabbit hole that we could do this for a yeah, long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, because I do think some level of automation is required to get to self-supervised learning, which is probably the only way I truly think that what we're trying to solve can be accomplished because collecting and labeling data sets is not a scalable problem until we get to self-supervised learning to where it learns much like a human learns through feedback loops of getting burned or getting hit in the head or running into a tree because right, you didn't see it. Right, right. I mean, no, there's a long, because when you, to get to that self-supervised thing, you, you have to have the, you have to have the feedback limits on it. You have to, it's a darn good thing we, yeah. we, we, we feel it warm as we approach the fire. Otherwise, we would have all been cooked by then. None of us would be <laughs> here, right? I, I guess. Anyway, yeah. I, I, I just, I, mean, I didn't want to take us down. Uh, but, but to me, to me, I think, again, we could be trying to, to, to do everything. But, but it seems to, to me that many of the folks out here have, have gotten lost in trying to do everything and are not doing really anything uh, mm. or not doing anything that they could be doing. I, you know, I look at FSD and I, I agree with you. It does a lot of things really well. 
And Elon's probably right when he goes out and says it, it is actually safer than us driving. Uh, he certainly has the data to prove that. I, I've, offered, I've asked him to release it to me or somebody else so somebody could do an independent evaluation. Not that we don't believe him or not that we think he's cheating. It's, yeah. you know, we're used to peer reviews in this business and, and we're yeah. used to having, you know, just to make. And I think I, I certainly believe that, that it is. But it is within a, a, a very constrained set. And the question to me, the question is, is, is how can we take where this thing works and start delivering some fundamental value yeah. to at least somebody on this? And, and this is what I've appreciated what you've done. You've identified some things you've shown or you've demonstrated that by, by collecting data on those, uh, the training procedures that they go through and they build in dojo and whatever and so on and so forth. And the deep learning actually does get the dials set a little bit better so that, yeah. in fact, the algorithms in there do be are able to, to do a reasonable job and better than reasonable job in sensing the environment and doing the right thing because it's yeah. making decisions every 20th of a second or something like that on all sorts of things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do have some thoughts uh, on what you yeah. said, and I and I do agree uh, with what you said about trying to solve the problems in some some operational uh, design domains, the ODDs. And Elon, since the shareholders meeting, has started to refer to a dedicated robo taxi platform. This is the third generation platform right. Right. that they're on, and they're calling the Model Three and the Model Y the second generation. And I think this third generation is still unknown to us on, on what is special about that that makes it unique to RoboTaxi. I personally, and if you listen to a lot of my content, am a pretty staunch person saying the hardware we have right now, both cameras and compute, is not capable of getting to the end game that they're stating is their end game. So we can either change the line on where we're trying to get to, which is an amazing automated driver assistant system at level two that essentially takes workload off of the driver, or mm -hmm. if we're really trying to get to uh, a driverless system to get the regulatory approval for a driverless system, I think we need to let the handcuffs off of the Tesla team and let them iterate on hardware, on software, and the neural network technology they're using. Just as an example, the occupancy network is a very new technology they've incorporated. Mm -hmm. You know, when they started mm -hmm. this problem back with Mobileye, they hadn't even incorporated that. So as these nets get more and more complex and, and bring some academic solutions into the problem, they're iterating. Hey, let's put some different cameras on there. Let's put them in different locations. Let them iterate. Elon is both hamstrung a little bit by promises of having FSD on his customer's cars since 2016. And he's also unconstrained in the academic and engineering world, letting his guys go solve the problem. And he's trying to manage it all through Twitter, which is you know, a whole other problem in and of itself. So I'm an engineer. I'm like, let the engineers be engineers. If they need to go to another platform to get us there, great. But back to the design domain. I think my situation is living proof that if the engineers come to a station, they bring the developing the drivers, they work on a problem, they can incorporate new tools, which to me is new nets. So think of the median network they added, the creep limit sure. network for the ADAS sure. driver, and then solve some problems. They pinpointed a problem, they solved it. How many of those are they going to do to solve the world is, is unconstrained. So to your point, maybe 
this robo-taxi network could be solved in a location like San Francisco, where they have a lot of time, or dedicate some of the cities you mentioned in our, in our pre-brief. I do think constraining the operational domain is the shortest path to getting autonomy. And we already have some companies that are doing that today, such as Waymo, and, and you know they got some Chandler, Arizona de design domains. But whether or not you got to get into the LiDAR debate, the high definition mapping debate, I think that's the engineering problem and let the engineers solve it. But at the same time, um, you got to kind of strength the problem if you're going to meet timelines that are not um, unscalable, I guess. Yeah, maybe we can get back to some of those and, and we can discuss uh, some of the approaches that we've taken. I, I, I would like you to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about your your unprotected left turn. Uh, my my, uh, my initial thought of that, that left turn is I don't think I can do it, okay? I mean, that thing is so complicated. It surprises me that Florida DOT permits it. I mean, how many lanes you have to cross to be able to get into that little shelter area to be able to then figure out what the heck's coming at you from the other direction. It just seems, I mean, yeah, yeah. apparently, you know, through the various uh, efforts that you've made, uh, you know, FSD apparently does it pretty darn well not realizes that yes there is a little patch out there that you can stop take a breath see what the hell's going on and then move forward if you can as long as that thing is is unoccupied okay somebody's I, already there you're like you're like yeah. you're like i don't they've, know they've i don't know what this i don't know what the engineering <laughs> solution is in that but you're in deep caca let's put it that way right so yeah. talk to us about that one well, i was going to say alan yeah. that they've actually used chuck's name in some of the release yeah, notes, yeah right? i know i know i know they have i know they have <laughs> chuck and, Cook and style left turn yeah yeah which, which which is it's funny everybody's famous for something i like to say i didn't think that was going to be what it was for me but uh in any case let's talk about this turn a little bit so there there, there are several parts obviously when you're uh, encountering high-speed cross-traffic, which is one of the constraints in this problem, and the traffic is going about 50 to 60 miles an hour, and when you come perpendicular to the stop sign, the only camera that has a view of the oncoming traffic is the B-pillar camera that has the lowest stated range of any camera on the car of 80 meters. Now, granted, maybe their bag of points and their other trickery is getting further than 80, but let's just say it was 100 meters. If a car is going 60 miles an hour at 100 meters, the actual Detection to collision time is in the 3.4 to 3.6 second range. So you've got some jitter and some latency to deal with in there. You have some perception identification to deal with in there and a whole lot happens. And then let's just assume that the, anyone in that car is gonna want about a one second buffer to impact anyway. So you got you know two and a half seconds to deal with. So it is a hard problem to detect high speed cross traffic. If you take you know a parking lot kind of un you know, protected left-hand turn, and the car is only going 25 or 30 miles an hour, it's a completely different problem because right. perception has the time it needs to solve the perception problem. But what Tesla did is they used what they had and they, they threaded the needle a little bit. And functionally, depending on certain traffic scenarios, it has all of the mechanics to do it. It, it put in a long right-hand turn that allows it to get in the median at the right angle. It broke the problem into two parts, which is a basic engineering tactic is yeah, to yeah. take a hard problem, break it up and solve it individually. By going to the median, they allowed the car to only solve, get to the median first and then wait. And then ironically, when it's in the median, it now has a repeater camera that is at the perfect angle to view the traffic that is also uh, brought into the solution. So I think it's just you know, breaking it apart. What can they solve? But truly, 
it's not an optimal set of sensors that they're using to solve it, but they mechanically got it to a higher level of success rate. But the problem is, is the number of nines I think you need on this problem is very high to get regulatory approval to pull a uh, driver out of the seat. That there are so many variables that uh, are exist in that problem with high-speed cross-traffic that I, I just I don't feel that we're we're going to be the end game with what we have on problems like that with with, with, with cross-traffic. So I think it's fun to watch him do. Uh, I want to answer your initial thing about you saying you wouldn't be able to do it. I've lived in this neighborhood where I'm doing this testing for about 30 years. And over the 30 years, there have been more accidents at the stoplight than at that intersection that I do in an unprotected left-hand turn maneuver. And the reason is because if I'm going through a green light and just give the light my uh, complete trust, Every accident that's ever happened has been somebody running the red light, T-boning someone and, and mm -hmm. killing them at that intersection. Somehow when the humans are paying attention at that unprotected lift scenario, it's actually safer to the DOT here than the light, which is ironic and not necessarily intuitive. Yeah, and also I suspect that you learned that in fact you could use that little strip out there to sort of take a breath and and you broke the problem up into two pieces, uh, whereas maybe somebody who's not been in that neighborhood who's not used to breaking this this is a very tough problem wherever it exists. The set the, mm -hmm. the the separated. Uh, 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 lanes that have a median in it and and so on people get stuck in those things all the time you can even go back to the brown crash the first one you know here there is there's a truck standing broadside uh you know who's trying to make the unprotected left came across probably didn't see brown saw they couldn't get into the into the gas station and stopped and poor brown just got got decapitated by it and and you know these are very these are very dangerous intersections wherever they occur and they occur in a lot of places um, my argument might be in terms of trying to get some value out of this uh, to be able to pull the driver out of there because I'm really looking at situations in which you don't need a driver. Why? Because then the mobility is affordable. Right now, you know, the, the issue is, is if you have to pay not only a driver to drive for you, uh, but also yeah. wait around for you. That's the real expense of the chauffeur. The chauffeur is not very yeah. expensive if they're just driving you. Where the expense is, is where they're waiting around for you. So if you want the, the demand responsive mobility that one has when one owns a car and be able to provide that to somebody as a, as a service, then you have to take both of those pieces. And putting a human in that is very expensive. And the thought is, is my goodness, if Elon's only going to charge 15,000 bucks for this, oh my goodness, do you know how cheap that is? Do you know it's groundbreaking. You know, it, 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 you know and it, you, you distribute that over a vehicle could probably serve a 100 person trips a day or something like that, 300 days a year. You, you, you know, the, 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 the per trip cost is essentially zero. So all of a yeah. sudden you have Uber Lyft, you know, and, and which is which is a real value proposition that one could be putting out there. But to put that yeah. out there is is I would avoid all those unprotected lefts. I'd make the right in the right and whatever. Okay, and whatever so I, I was so, hoping you were going to say that. Yeah, so I was hoping you were going to say yeah, the yeah, right yeah. and the right. Yeah, or <laughs> so whatever. The right turn, you know. the right turn introduces uh, a unique so solution, and many uh, UPS. Uh, uh, 
optimizations are, are trying to use right turns that are quicker, save fuel, safer, all of those sort of things. Um, ultimately, if you're going to take a right turn, a second right turn doesn't always solve it. So right turn is one way out of an intersection with high-speed traffic, but ultimately, I think it's another right turn or a U-turn. Yeah, yeah. So my and, question and, would be, do you think a U-turn is safer than an unprotected left turn? Because I think the detection of the drivable space to the left of the B-pillar has to be so accurate that the car has to know it can do the turn without creating a three-point turn scenario that in high-speed cross-traffic would be even more dangerous. Yeah, I mean, you know, in Jersey, in Jersey, we have jug handles, okay, so yeah. that we never yeah. have to make a left, all right. Yeah, and and so therefore, you know, there there are things. I think that if you if you look at, at many places to get from many A's and B's, there are easy ways to drive it, or safe ways to drive it, and more challenging ways to drive it. And and yeah. and what what I would like to see done here is for is for them first of all to really define which problem they're trying to to address. If they are trying to make it so that if I buy a Tesla, uh, I cannot be Airbnb it out there and generate revenue for it. In other words, put it out there for a bunch of other people to use. You know, I mean. To me, that that's almost crazy, okay? Because first of all, uh, I'm not very good at maintenance and uh, whatever. And I'm gonna and who's gonna be responsible? Really, I'm I'm gonna be responsible for both the safe and the legal operation every time that Airbnb goes out there driving. Uh, and and I don't know. Of course, it's not gonna speed. Otherwise, I'm gonna get all the tickets. I mean, it's it's yeah. just it's impractical as a, as a business proposition. I think if you actually look at it, it's it's kind of interesting and kind of whatever. But if I'm a, if yeah. I'm an operator trying to provide the mobility, if I'm if I'm really a Lyft or an Uber in a constrained area between certain points, then what I'm going to do is be very careful that I do deliver that mobility just within that area. And there may be easy ways for me to do that in the large, such that the regulatory entities actually see that it does work, right? Hey, I can run it for a year without any disengagements. Just keep the, you know, I just, it knows every time you grab the wheel, right? Oh, it absolutely knows. It, yeah. it, it absolutely knows. Now, you know, you can go fake the data, but none of us do that. No, and we shouldn't even think about doing that. But yeah. you could get, you could, you could put up a, a, a you know, a, you've even uh, kept score on when it does and when it doesn't, when it goes to this, and when it went in the parking lot and when it didn't and so on. Well, you keep, yeah. you keep tweaking that thing you keep running it you keep giving it more 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 uh, more well labeled data which is a challenge mm -hmm. in and of itself but we won't we won't go down mm -hmm. that one uh so that it ends up hey it works and then then regulators have to say okay yeah why do we have somebody in there um yeah when's the last time you I saw think, go ahead go. i think basically uh, Tesla is already doing that in some respect. And, and I've had some conversation with some employees at Tesla that have said, yeah, we've got to go to Boca Chica to fix Elon's drive. Or yeah, we've got to go to Austin to fix Elon's drive. Now, what that really means is Elon is saying, or the team is saying, this is where he's spending a lot of his time driving these alpha builds he's driving and he's seeing problems. Let's go fix them. And ultimately his drives get fixed, which is exactly what you're saying we yeah. could do 
with a constrained operational domain. We just Tesla just has to get to the point of saying those words. Constrained environment is is where Robotaxi will be on the next platform. I also think the next platform is where there's where this is going to be. I don't think that you're going to hear them publicly say, you know, the RoboTaxi Airbnb word platform will be on the current cars. They haven't said either yet. So I think it's this next generation they're working on at the lab right now. You know, the $15,000 point, I think the $15,000 is the consumer level of FSD that is affordable. But if you truly create a platform that can generate the revenue that you've articulated, it needs to be app level access. Uh, over $100,000 probably. So, but that's a monetizable business at that point, just like a medallion for a cab in New York is. It's a different level. But the consumer, we got to keep it at the price point that it's affordable because there's so much safety involved in this uh, capability. I would love my 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 son or my daughter who wants to buy their first car to be able to afford a Model 3 with FSD. But if FSD continues to go up in price, the percentage of the total cost of the car is starting to get out of balance. And we got to figure out how, how they're going to divide those two products in the long run. So let, let me ask you a question there. Uh, to, to what extent do you think it can become safer uh, as a, let's call it the level two, when you remain, I said, one of the statements I make is that, you know, supposedly 90% of the crashes involve human, uh, human involvement. Okay. I say 90% of the crashes involve human misbehavior. They're all misbehavior. If I start looking at my phone, that's misbehavior. If I drink too much, if I, uh, you know, if I, scratch my butt if I check out this if I fall asleep if I, those are all those are all misbehaviors when we behave we are darn good aren't we I mean we are yeah. we miss and so I I think FSD where it is now handles or 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 whenever you get yourself between the rock and a hard place does a pretty good job of saving you and as yeah. long as you remain attentive you hop in the back seat forget about it okay i mean it, it, yeah I, I think it's got a long runway of making it much safer and i like to articulate that it's getting really really good at the middle of the drives it's the beginning of the drive and the end of the drive that still have these rough edges on it right so i got to get out into the traffic and then go straight and now it's in its perfect world it can do this really really good a little bit of confusion on map data language of lanes and some of the new things they're incorporating but this language of lanes using gpt3 is brand new so that that's going to get better yeah, 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 yeah. um absolutely so the middle of the drives are getting really really good we need to work on parking lots. We need to work on U-turns. We need to work on the unprotected lefts and high-speed cross traffic. We need to get from my driveway to the parking lot and the end of those drives need more attention. The middle is just getting really, really good with the exception of some bad blinkers and lane change decisions that create its own problems that the humans uh, avoid through experience right now. If we work more in cooperation, okay? If we weren't so insistent that this does everything for us, if it does, I mean, you know, as you know, you want to use people where they are best useful and you want to use technology where it's better useful. And I think in, in, in the airplane and so on, you found a perfect uh, marriage between these two things. So why, why shouldn't it be that we started out, we finish it up and in the middle, it lets us relax and so on, as long as we don't go goofy. 
Okay, as long as we don't, all, and all, as long as we don't say, hey, uh, whatever, all the other goofinesses you, you, you can name yeah. yourself. And then in a sense, it then delivers enormous value to us. It allows yeah. you to buy this for your children and have them be safe. As long as they realize that they, you can't take somebody who's had too much to drink from the bar to the bed. Okay. Yep. Because because you do have to deal with these beginning and end points. Okay. Maybe in the middle it can do it, but but mm. if the person isn't able to deal with the beginning and the end and a couple places in the middle, and, and it knows when I, I think it now knows pretty well when it's about to get in trouble, right? Uh, to some extent. Right? I, I don't know. I think I think you've hit a great point, and I think I'm a supporter of this message, and I would try to do it. I think the reason we're having trouble uh, admitting this is because of some promises that have been made and expectations of what people think they paid for. If we could get away from that rhetoric and just say, oh my God, the human plus the car is an amazing combination I, I i'm all for this because uh, we are where we are no matter what we thought we were getting well, it would seem to me from a business point of view if not not to advise elon on a business yeah. point of view but to say look if, if somehow i miss miss uh, uh miss uh, misinformed you and you thought you were getting more here let me give you your money back because the value that <laughs> one gets well the value that one gets out of the middle and the value that one gets in terms of the enhanced safety that it does deliver and the and the value that it is paying attention to some things that you're not paying attention to and all these kinds of things are so darn valuable uh, that you might say hey that's fine you know i'm happy to pay that yeah i agree with you i think yeah, yeah. anyway <laughs> Let, let's take a look at one of the yeah, yeah, videos yeah, yeah, yeah. of the unprotected lefts that you have yeah in mind. yeah yeah yeah, so we have a turn here where uh, the car is coming up to the stop sign. It does a nice stop, but I want you to notice a few things. In the drone view in the lower left, I've got the tree distances measured with a laser rangefinder. It's kind of showing you the range that the camera is stated as being able to see. Uh, and then the blue median in the middle, notice when that's blue, it's identified where it thinks it can go into the median like it did just there. And there was no traffic coming from the right and it proceeded straight through without without even stopping. That was a perfectly executed unprotected left with just a little bit of light traffic. Um, and I think it's great. But some things that I do here for the viewers that want to understand, that little black bar above doesn't come with the car. That is extracted CAN bus data that I overlay my videos. So you can actually see the torques on the motors. You can see the uh, the jerk acceleration that's happening. And it kind of helps analyze this in post, post view. Now here, look at this. We have traffic in the median this time that it has to deal with. So as it approaches uh, the stop sign, you can see it's created the creep limit, but it has the car identified in blue in the median. That's uh, a car it's gonna have to deal with. It's still mapping the median. Now here in this situation, the car crossed quite a fleur-de-lis we have going on here. And my car is scooting up to the creep limit, even though our car to right is still trying to merge. Kind of a little bit rude there for those of you that realize I just blocked his obstructed view to the left. And now in this gap here, it's gonna to proceed to the median in that blue area again. And it should probably proceed right after this car. And there it goes, a little bit of pre-roll, a little bit of a right turn, a little bit of a left turn, and it's gonna wait right here until that last car goes by and it's perfectly waiting in the median here and then it proceeds. So that is the dynamics of an unprotected left broken into two parts. It's gotta get up to the creep limit to give the B pillar the best view. It's gotta work itself to the median, stop, pause, if there's traffic oncoming and then proceed into the second half. Um, and I've done this thousands of times now. It's quite fun, I enjoy doing it, but uh, I know to some people it's a little scary. 
as we can see here, the blue line ahead of you is a trajectory that it intends to follow right now in terms of its decision as to where it can move forward. And if one watches that, as you approach that, one sees that shrink, and then all of a sudden, when it says, when it decides that there's enough room, it then pops it out and we can watch it and see the, the two pieces of this maneuver that, that you've described very well. Exactly. And here, right here, it's just creeping up a little bit. And, and this is, this is a, to me, a really tough, I mean, if I'm driving this, I don't know how you are when you're driving it. You must say, what do I do? And, and every once in a while, it sort of indicates that maybe I have a road up, a route up there as to where I want to go. But, but, but because the car is there, I'm really not going to go ahead and follow that trajectory. Um, yeah. I and love then, to watch when the uh, media network shows and it doesn't show. It's also yeah. kind of giving me some insight as to how good its perception is. Here's right. a good example of that creep limit too. That right. creep limit is a projection of where it is determining the drivable space is on the other side, not to cross it. Right. That was right. a huge improvement, um, I think, to the logic. Although I will say, I think the creep limit is a driver pacification tool. In other words, the car does not need to display that for its own function. It does need to calculate it, but it doesn't need it to show it to the driver. So it was a little bit of an FSD beta driver tool, I think. But I think also in that it, it needs to know it itself that it's doing that and, and being uh, transparent about what it's thinking about, I think, is, is really yep. good. If, if I may go to another issue that I've sort of had forever with Tesla, if I can bring that up to you, I have never seen a view in which it shows an overpass. Uh, why words, should it show an overpass if, if that's not part of the drivable space? Because it senses the overpass. Okay. Yeah, but the occup occupancy networks today only right now are only showing things from the ground up, which is an interesting thing. I had a, a video in my recent unmarked roads drive where I had a branch hanging down that wasn't touching the ground and it completely did not see it. So it feels like they're growing like a tree from the ground up, their drivable space. So it's an interesting question you asked. And especially now that radar is gone, overpasses with radar created a lot of issues. Um, I, it's an interesting thought, though. I'd like to hear more about what you think. Well, I, I really like, like your comment there because I think it does see it, okay? And it sees it as an object that is stationary. And if an object is stationary in the lane ahead, it disregards it. Which to me, I, I said it, it was the problem with the Joshua Brown crash. It saw the truck. It just saw a, a stationary object in the lane ahead, and it just doesn't, ex it doesn't expect that. It expects that it can pass underneath all those. Why? Because as, as one drives down the road, do you know how many, at least, maybe it's just here in Jersey, it's not that way in Florida, uh, but how many overpasses, how many signs, how many traffic lights, how many branches, trees, and so on that you pass under? that in its field of view, it is sitting there with every object. It puts a position vector, velocity vector, acceleration vector, jerk vector, yeah, who knows how many derivative vectors on each one of those things in the end, somewhere in that, in that spot. And it sees it. And it, it, as it's showing here, it shows us the things that it sees. Things that move are really easy to, to discern because, because they're, they're 
their velocity is different than yours, okay? And it's not, you know, the negative of that. Stationary right. objects are are of special character. Okay, that that they're the velocity vector, depending on which reference frame you use, da 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 da, da you know, are easily yeah. identifiable, which makes them easy to divert if they're along the side of the road. When they happen to be in the middle of your lane, and they just appear there. Uh, if you're following a car that comes to a stop, you've you've be, 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 one of the best things that I think they put in there is is doing doing their 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 regression to get the coefficients using video and not just not just images, because yeah. of the video you basically have a history of data on a point. If the history of data on the point is a vehicle that you're following, then you're You've had that mm -hmm. thing moving, you know, all of a sudden, if it stops, you've already identified that as a vehicle. If you're coming over something that all of a sudden it appears or the car in front of you moves out of the way and all of a sudden there's something that appears it's stationary, what do you do? And all the yeah, crashes so that they've had with, with, with ambulance, they said, oh, you know, or cars parked along the way. To me, I, I think... You encounter these things so often when you drive. I mean, you think about when you drive, there are all these, you go around the corner, the darn, the darn pole is right ahead of you, but you're going to yeah. yeah. talk to me here. Yeah. Yeah. You thought you, about uh, that you, one? Oh, I have thought about it a lot, and, I, yeah. and I, I have two answers to it. First of yeah. all, I think this is the reason the occupancy networks have been created, because we no longer need to depend on perception for something to be thrown into its vector space. It now can just define, is something there, is something not? Put the metadata inside of the 3D voxel that they can do perception upon should they need more precision inside of that voxel. So I think that is the first transformational change that they have incorporated to solve the problem you're working at with vision. Now, of course, we don't have sensor fusion anymore with a radar. A radar was a big tool that they were using, but obviously it had some Doppler-related uh, vulnerabilities that created some decision points, so they took it away. I think it'll probably come back in the long run, but I, I think it'll be a high-definition radar that'll come back with a, uh, a much more precise kind of a, a vector diagram that'll create. So I do think that the pixel, the, the voxel getting smaller with higher resolution in these next few versions that I think we're working on right now is, is solving this problem one by one. But there's still some very unique vulnerabilities with very thin objects, something about the size of a four by four, a railroad crossbar, or some private neighborhood gates that are made with wrought iron. It sees through those, which is much like the focal length of an eye or a camera that you can see through something. And, and I think they're just going to have to continue to work on these problems. We're not done yet, uh, but I think um, we just have to uh, tread carefully as we solve these individually. Um, but I'm, you know, and then Ashok at AI Day, I was fortunate enough to be invited to AI Day and listen to that presentation, but I, I've listened to it about five times and I swear I learned every time I listened to it. Uh, no, it was excellent. It was excellent. The introduction that uh, Ashok's new project being NERFs, Neural Radiance Fields, I think is a whole other transformational technology that's going to yeah. take this occupancy networks to the next level. So I, I don't think we're done yet, which means we can't be marching the nines because every time you change the neural network and retrain it to the point you've been making, we're not marching nines, we're changing the solution and then retraining until we get to the point where we're satisfied. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah, yes, yes. 
there are some, as you very well know, who have criticized Tesla for using customers like yourself almost as employees and, and doing the beta testing here. How do you view this and how do you answer those critics? Uh, it's a very good question. Obviously, I'm a volunteer. I signed up. Matter of fact, I sent them my resume going, hey, I think I'm a good candidate for this. But I did it out of my own personal interest, my own techie kind of hobbies. And I and I never realized it was going to get this big and how much fun I was going to have taking this apart. I do think that there is a demographic out there that just wants the new toy. And I like to make the analogy of a much younger drivers. I'm, you know, I'm 53 years old. I have life experiences. I've had an accident or two and I've learned my lessons of what not to do. There's a very large group of people out there that have not learned that in life yet about the weight of a car, how much damage can be created and loss of life that can happen. So I do worry that they broaden it to groups that don't have all of the perhaps experience to, to drive safely with something that is continuously changing. So there isn't an instruction manual. There's not a video to go watch. I've tried to put out a few safety videos for people to watch uh, so they, they kind of know what they're getting into. But ultimately, the unique situation is the people that are testing it spend a lot of money on their cars. And back to the paying attention point at the unprotected left, when people have vested interest and money and they don't want to get into an accident, they're usually pretty attentive, which is, I think, the primary reason it's worked to this point is because people care about their cars. Um, so I know it's a contested and debatable point. Uh, I am an advocate for my own personal decision. Uh, I am very cautious when they broaden it very quickly. I like to get out there and jump on my safety bandwagon and say, please drive safe. Give yourself, um, you know, some, some time to build up what I call your sea legs in the Navy, right? You know, the first few days on a ship, you're all kind of wobbly, but after a few days, you've kind of got your balance and know where you are. Uh, to an aviator, we call it the first thousand hours of flight time. You know, before a thousand hours, you're still kind of stupid in the air. After a thousand hours, you start to get confidence. And then there's another curve where you get complacency. Complacency is what could happen to a guy like me doing this for two years now. I, you know, I think I got it wired, but then they change the software version. If I'm not paying attention every time the software changes, complacency can sneak in there. So these are all threats that we have to manage uh, through risk mitigations. But that's kind of how I think about it, but uh, recognizing that it is a debatable point. I'm a big fan of, of, of crowdsourcing and uh, information. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm part of my, my, at one point in my life, I was, uh, I was uh, with Fred. Uh, we were doing turn-by-turn -turn navigation and putting systems out there. And it, 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 it was really nice that most of our customers wanted the help. Whenever the thing didn't do what the right thing, they wanted to, to offer advice, to offer help. Uh, it's, it's really nice to see of customers and to engage customers in this and, and, to, and to really be honest with customers saying, hey, you know, we're trying to develop, we're trying to improve, we'd like to make this better for you. And what better way to do it than engage your customers? So I think, I think, it's, I think he's, he's brilliant in doing this. Otherwise, you, it's, it's almost it's unaffordable to do. Okay, whatever the numbers are that he puts up in terms of the miles driven with beta testers and, and, and crowdsourcing experience with, uh, with FSD and autopilot or whatever you want to call them. I mean, they're, they're, they're more than an order of magnitude greater than what Waymo's experience has been. Why? Because Waymo's done it all with its own employees. They haven't had the opportunity uh, to get the good graces of the customer who wants to help such as yourself. 
and and this is a very valuable thing and 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 it really it's probably the only way to do it otherwise yeah you go bankrupt. It can't be affordable. So, you know, kudos to all of you to, to go out and help. But as you say, you know, you have to take this seriously. It's not a toy. Cars can kill you and do at a rate of, you know, 100 plus a day. Okay. So, you know, this is serious business here. And, and uh, you know, pay attention. Damn it. Don't misbehave. Chuck, have you had a chance to ride in some of the vehicles being operated by Waymo or Cruise? What are your thoughts? So I personally have not. I've tried. I don't get out to Arizona very much with my my work and in uh, in that area. I've watched all of the videos, uh, and I'm very excited about this new platform that Waymo has released. I think that iteration on hardware is amazing to watch. I love it when engineers solve problems and can make things smaller and and better. And I think in their constrained domain. Waymo is doing a good job. Whether or not it is the right solution uh, broadly, I think is to be determined. I know they've spent a lot of money out there without a whole lot of revenue coming in. So it really is a social experiment on whether or not they can solve the technical problem. Elon's strategy is a little bit more consumer-based, working on selling the cars that will do something else one day in the future. Uh, so he's still making uh, you know money quite well with Tesla right now while he's solving the same problem through a different strategy. Um, I do think that the situation of when the when the Waymos get stuck and needing rescue drivers and a lot of these sort of features will be something that our robo taxi fleet one day will need to solve. You know, how do you clean your cameras? How do you uh, clean the interior? Uh, what do you do when you ultimately get stuck at the end of a one-way road and cannot turn around? Do you send a rescue vehicle? I think these are all things that Tesla will have to solve one day. Uh, and if it's a consumer that owns that problem, uh, how will it be uh, notifying them that their taxi that was taking someone home from the bar at 1 a.m. is stuck? You need to go get it. Interesting things to think through because uh, ultimately – uh, you need a fail-safe in, in every engineering problem. Uh, you could even talk about trains where, you know, or, or rails at airports. You know, they are in a constrained operational domain and they cannot get off the rails, yet, you know, they still get stuck sometimes and you have to come out to the JFK airport and somebody's got to open the thing and turn it on and back it up and open the doors. Things happen. Um, and I just yeah, think that, I mean, uh, that this will be fun to watch. That shouldn't be surprising. I mean, we do have triple A. Maybe we'll have triple B now that will go out and, yeah. and you know, give us a jump or, you know, fix. I mean, tires are going to need to be fixed. Okay. So tires sure. will still blow out. All right. So there, but those yeah. are, those are rare events compared to, you know, us. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how good the car manufacturers have become. I mean, wheels yeah. just don't come flying off. And as we discussed earlier, you know, 90% of or whatever the crashes are really you know they're on us because of our misbehavior they're not on the on the wheels falling off or transmissions dropping or you know whatever oil pans yeah. and so on so it, it is really it is really good on on that end of it but in the end i mean <laughs> I, i'm just not a perfectionist i mean if the objective <laughs> is perfection i'm gonna go play golf the hell with it i mean <laughs> I, you know no, not even in, us engineers can solve those things. We can we only, we can only solve some of the problems and get it to be you know somewhat good, such that it's a, it's a reasonable business case. Otherwise, government is going to have to do it. And you yeah, know, well, the government's going to come in on the regulation, the road signage, the future of. Uh, how we can improve signs and uh, much like they have with the ADA making, you know, intersections and everything much more, uh, you know, 
uh, ADA approved so people can use these type of intersections. I think autonomy could benefit from a lot of that with regulations about uh, signage. What, what, I think we could imp- we could do benefit from that. I mean, I, just driving here in Jersey, can't they put some paint down so I can see the darn uh, lanes? I mean, I, it's, well, that's down to funding, you know, not regulation. The paint is supposed to be there. Yeah, that's I, I understand the paint's supposed to be there, but my goodness, I, I don't want I don't want gizmos out there. Just put some paint on there, and and we've we've yeah. said that from the very beginning of this. The, the, the real the real value of all this is that the intelligence is in the vehicle, not the roadway. And therefore we have an opportunity to, to put the intelligence in there so that yeah. at least they can, might be able to negotiate with what's out there as opposed to having yeah. to go through the expense of who knows what, you know, magnets and roads and all this, whatever, <laughs> and communicate and whatever. I mean, you know, we, 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 that's not affordable. We, we decided. Well, no, I, I guess I didn't mean, let's, let, I no, guess I, I didn't, I wasn't thinking mechanism roads, but I, I'm thinking like the HOV lane logic. Hey, actually, that's very transferable to an EV only or maybe an autonomous lane logic. You know, you know police, places that could benefit from that through tax incentives and things like that could could work on those sort of solutions. But I am all about the car needs to know the world it's in and solve the world it's in, whether or not that's a constrained domain or the entire domain. Right. And uh, what bothers me about the the exclusive uh, AV lane is that's the one where these things actually work pretty darn well. That's where you don't need it. You need it. You need it at that at that unprotected left that's right behind you. I mean, <laughs> to me, that, that is so hard. That is so yeah. hard. And, uh, well, I'm probably going to go drive it again today. And I'm going to load up my cameras. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I just get yeah. out there and create some more content. Uh, we are getting ready to get another release. It looks like 69.3.1 yeah. is imminent, yeah. and version 11 is going to be imminent too. So there's there's a bright future ahead. I just I like to always make the message of give the engineer time to solve the problem and uh, unconstrain them a little bit from the handcuffs of perhaps some of the promises that have been made over time and let yeah. them iterate and, and solve it. Yeah. Well, we we love what you're doing, Chuck. And, well, yeah, and the we, videos. we, we do, and we appreciate so it. We appreciate it and appreciate your your contribution. Again, think about the the stationary object above you next time you're really thinking of what, what the yeah. heck. Is Maybe I'll even there. make some comments about it next time I see one, and I'll and I'll address you guys and say, "Hey, here's one of those things we talked about." <laughs> And and one other thing, one thing that bugs me, okay, that you might, okay, I have intelligent cruise control in my car, okay, just like the intelligent cruise control that's in the Tesla. If I have an intelligent cruise control, and, and I don't like this business about hands off, I think the most important thing is feet off. Okay, uh, because to me, that's what intelligent cruise control does for me. It, I, I don't have to sit there and, and mon- not worry about crashing in the back of somebody or getting a, a speeding ticket because I'm doing more than nine over or something, whatever. It, it does that. If I tap the brakes, it turns the system off. And that drives me crazy. Okay, mm-hmm. now if I had stupid cruise control, the one that only did the throttle, okay? Tapping the brake means I want the throttle automation turned off. That's what I'm telling it, okay? If I tap the brakes where it it does both the brakes and the throttle, I think it should just turn off the throttle, not the braking function. Because if I don't hit the brakes hard enough, 
it should jump in there and say, hey, Alan, I'm going to hit the brakes some more. I didn't mm -hmm. all of a sudden decide, hey, you wanted to take over the brakes and it's on you. And then wait for the automated emergency braking system to be 1.6 seconds to collision. And then all hell breaks loose when it tightens this, what does it do to, 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 to keep me from colliding? Yeah. It misses that whole gap from when I tapped it to when I'm one point six, where it could have leisurely taken yeah. care of this. Why I, is I that? Completely agree. I completely it, it, agree it does with you. That, it does that in your car too, right? Well, yeah, and I and I'll, I'll use go back to the conversation we started with. First of all, using the accelerator is an intervention. It adds input to the solution without disconnecting it. Hit the brake, disengages everything as if that was your disengagement button. In an airplane, the same sort of thing could happen. If I pull back on the stick, it will disengage the autopilot. If I uh, push forward on the throttles, it'll disengage the autopilot. But I have this magic button that is called the autopilot disconnect. It disconnects everything with the touch of a button. We need that on the car. And today on the car, it's lift the stock vertically, but it's not an intuitive command for a user that's an extremist to use. But that is the same equivalent. You ought to be able to use the stock as your primary disengage of all systems in the brake, I agree. You know, if you're breaking, the, the, the break is not that. The break is not that, right? No. It, it's just no. disengagement. It's, it's a control input and disengagement, which is two combined commands right. that uh, you're taking over and adding input at the same time, which can be dangerous. Yeah. So anyway, any it just it drives <laughs> me nuts because 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 and and. Anyway, um, um, excellent, yeah, excellent. I just want somebody well, we, we, else. To, we did just, get that in. <laughs> we got that in. We got that in. <laughs> let's, let's turn to nobody, a couple of quick headlines, wants, Alan, yeah, okay. from, your, yes, from yeah, the Smart yeah, Driving Cars yeah. newsletter. Uh, real quick, Motional yeah. and Lyft launching a fully driverless uh, ride hail service in Los Angeles using the Hyundai Ionic 5, according to Car Scoops. This is uh, just another entrance here, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, would it, it doesn't seem to be to me that, that that that's where they should go. Okay, first of all, you know, they're they'll be number three at best in in, in the market, and and really, they should they should look at more things that look more like Las Vegas, and and that's not the strip. Um, but anyway, um, not thrilled. And of course, it's all, uh, it's another gunna as opposed to dua. And, you know, I've heard enough about the gunners. Right. Well, Waymo, we've alluded to this. Waymo at the auto show in LA, I think, is, is showing a, a new vehicle without a steering wheel or pedals built by uh, Geely Group's uh, Zeker. Yeah, so they have that, and that's nice, I guess. But uh, to me, it looks like a very good. Um, uh, uh, driverless uh, transit network vehicle, uh, as opposed to a ride-hailing vehicle. I mean, you know, it's 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 meant to be ride-shared and so on and so forth, and not to, to basically take me to the airport. But maybe. And along these same lines, Cruise has expanded its uh, driverless robo taxi service in San Francisco. They were doing it nighttime only, and we've talked to them in the past. Yeah, and, and daytime and as well. Yeah, and and I think that that's great. I I especially like their nighttime service because, in fact, uh, that is providing service when Mooney's not operating. So, in fact, they are providing a a, a mobility solution out there that um, that that that's valuable. And uh, if in fact uh, they do it affordably, then that would be even great, better. 
Um, and doing it during the day, good. Uh, it is only for employees right now. Of course, uh, it's still under, it still has a ways to go such that uh, they build a business out of it. Uh, one has to wonder with, with many of these folks, I mean, the burn rate is non-trivial and, uh, and the revenue rate is still zero. And so these are all pre-revenue except for Mobileye that's basically sells its stuff to, to auto manufacturers who do advanced driver assistance with them and so on. So there's a revenue stream for them. But all these other folks, I mean, at some point one has to ask, uh, um, how long can they hang on? As, as the Mobileye question is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, does. Right. Well, uh, Go, go ahead, Chuck. Go, go ahead, Chuck. Yes, yeah, so the Mobileye question is an interesting one because they're they're selling and licensing this software for many different car platforms, which goes back to the data collection is not the same across their entire network. So it's like they got all this data out there, but they got to put each of it in the bucket of oh, this is on this kind of car, and this is on this kind of car, and this is on this kind of car. It's not the same, right? I don't. Whereas Tesla's data set is so homogeneous on its models of cars, it feels like Mobileye. Um, might end up having a data problem as compared to Tesla, but I do like their sensor pro their their solutions. I do like the the direction they're going with hardware, um, and I'm very impressed with what they've done. Um, but it's interesting how the problem that they are putting it on so many cars, how they can leverage all of that data. Like, does it go down a path like, oh, we're really iterating on this one car installation type, but it's not translatable on the others? I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Uh, yes, but uh, of course I agree with you. There, there's nobody comparable to, to Tesla. You know, they put in the over-the-air updating. They're doing the continuous monitoring. They're collecting the data. They've put in the whatever uh, fine print in the in the purchase agreements, to, such that at least most of the customers are saying that that's okay with me. Uh, yeah, I'd love to help you out here. And so you know, the 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 data trove that Tesla has is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, okay. to add to that, uh, when know. I um, I've added a specific access point just for my Tesla and I can measure the data up and down from my car. And that yeah. little snapshot button I have on FSD beta, every time I hit that, I've measured that it looks like every time I hit it, it uploads about one and a half gigs of data on that specific drive. So if I come back from five, you know, uh, you know, five presses of that button, it's it's getting almost ten gigs of data that's being uploaded in the first thirty to forty minutes my car comes home. It is unbelievable what that snapshot does. In addition to the eight cameras that I know are going back to the mothership, uh, but that specific data. And I've gotten some feedback from engineers that a combination of a snapshot image and a disengagement at the same time, they go get my snapshot data and they take the camera data, they overlay it, and they look at it very, very, very closely. So. Um, and I did speak with many of the engineers at AI Day and asked them a lot of questions about what am I doing is it that helps you so much? Why are you guys focusing on mine? And they said the repetitive nature that is historically evident. And they also asked me, can you leave sentry mode on when your car gets home? That way the videos, your car doesn't go to sleep and the videos upload faster. Those are the two pieces of information I left AI Day with. 
So those those engineers are working hard and looking at a lot of data. Yeah, it, it, really I mean, interesting. It is it is really brilliant uh, to me. Uh, you know what they've done yeah. with this because you know GM had the opportunity because they had OnStar. They've had OnStar on vehicles. They could have done the communication piece, but but the this piece of it, just in terms of of understanding what. Uh, customers and so on they have to be careful with respect to the privacy and they don't want to you know misuse this but to, to, to use it in terms of improving the product it's, it's it's it is just so fundamental and and i don't nobody nobody else out there has anything that, that approaches it yeah. would you agree that uh graduates from college such as uh, the institution where you teach uh look for places based on the size of their data set to go work for their first or second jobs? No, probably not. Probably not. But most of them, at least certainly out of my department, you know, it's all, it all has to do with, with data. And, and the, the most important thing that, that I try to tell, tell my students is it's not necessarily big data. It's, it's the problems you're dealing with are so highly dimensional. It's big dimensions. There are many components. And the problem is, is that for many of the dimensions, you have no data or very little data. So what you really do have to have is an enormous trove such that way down deep somewhere, you, 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 you get some information about your unprotected left. Okay. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, to find, because in the end, it's uh, what we don't know. Uh, we don't know. And mm-hmm. we have to, we have to somehow trip over, find whatever. And, uh, you know, and I don't believe in unsupervised learning. I don't, I don't believe in any of that stuff. I mean, that's just bull. Okay. I mean, what the, the, the amount of brain power we use to be able to, to, come up with you know some of the hey let's look at this it's just so enormous none of these algorithms are anywhere close to doing any of that stuff i mean they're very 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 you know very beginning of it and and so you know to be able to deal with large data sets find the data for which in the dimensions for which you have really little and figure out what the heck's going on in there and try to learn something out of the data, put your brain in there with it and, yeah. and get exposed to it. Just like if you hadn't gone out there, your brain hadn't gone out there to that unprotected left, you know, in, um, yeah. how do you discover that? So that's an interesting that? analogy. You know, you know. So the analogy I like to use is what you just said there. So you take somebody from out of town or you can take somebody from out of the country or you take somebody of a certain age. So if I were to put my 15 year old daughter when she was that age in that term with her life experience of physics, of recognition, of accelerations, of what her eyes were bringing to her planet and then brain and then how to use the pedals that she's new to to cross that intersection, she might die on her first try. Right. Because she didn't have the life experience to understand it. But if you take an experienced driver from Japan, perhaps with completely different laws, maybe a mature woman that's driving and she could probably do it just fine because the, the combination of acceleration physics, maybe a few life lessons. Yeah. So I feel like Tesla is my 15 year old daughter right now that has only got a limited number of experiences on how to use that to use the sensors and the control it has. And it just needs to get older. Yeah, well, I, I don't know when your kids had, had, had crashes. My <laughs> oldest daughter, right after she got her, her license, you know, tried to do a K-turn. Boom. 
I mean, it, it's, it's probability is almost one that she's not going to be able to do a K turn, you know, under the duress of, you know, people coming at her. And, and of course, she wasn't. Okay? I mean, now she does K turns just fine. Thank you. <laughs> I think so. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, th this is where we are. And it's, it's, it, it is a lot of fun to do this. Okay. I mean, <laughs> and, and I think it's worthwhile. I mean, we're, we're out there trying to make this valuable to people, you know, really to, to improve their quality of life because, you know, having good mobility, at least to some really can change their lives. So anyway. Yeah. Wow. Chuck, this, this has really been terrific. And uh, yeah. we are, we are hoping you're going to be joining us again in the future too. This was a terrific, terrific discussion. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. And thanks for all the work that you're doing out there. Paid or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate well. it. Uh, yeah, I, I am paid through appreciation. And I like to do this whenever I can. And if one of the Tesla engineers happens to be watching this podcast, it's because of those guys. It's their effort. It's their sweat and uh, tears that are going into this product. I get to benefit from it. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud that they use my content to make the, the product better. But really, it is their effort. Uh, we should be applauding, not mine. Yeah. Yeah, agree with you 100%. Terrific. Thank you. Thank you also to CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, for helping to make this podcast possible. CARTS is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high-quality mobility for all. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Amazon, Spreaker, wherever you get podcasts from. Your smart speaker can play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching, and please continue to stay safe. <laughs>